You are listening to Show Radio. Radio. Listen, advertise, share. Don't take the presence of the storm to indicate the absence of God. Sometimes when you enter into a storm, and there are all kinds of storms, health storms, physical storms, financial storms, emotional storms, there are all kinds of storms. I'm not talking about the storms that rain down water and the lightning and the thunder and all of that. The, I'm talking about storms that other people can't see. Undetectable storms. Storms that make people think you haven't been through anything. Because you get up out of the bed every morning and you, you, you put your hair up and put your makeup on and, and they don't know you put your smile on just like you did your makeup. And, and walked in smiling because you were going through a secret storm. Has anybody ever gone through a secret storm? See, see, when you're going through a visible storm, somebody will hand you an umbrella or a raft or, or, or some help or some assistance because they are aware of your suffering. But when you're going through a secret storm, there is no comfort there because nobody knows that you're dealing with a secret storm. They're, they're jealous of the car you're driving, not knowing that it's two payments behind. They're envious of the position that you were promoted to, not knowing that now that you're promoted into that position, you can't even rest at night. You can't even sleep at night. You've got so much pressure and so much responsibility on you. And all of a sudden you're in a storm and nobody even knows it. And when we get in a storm, we have a tendency to wonder, where is God? Job said, I looked for him. He was there a minute ago, but now I can't find him. I, I looked on the right side and I couldn't find him. I looked on the left side and I perceived him not. Where is God in the storm? Because we buy into this notion that if God was with us, we would have no storm. That if God were really with us, we would be happy. That if God were really with us, everything would go smoothly. That if God were really on our side, we would have no family problems. If God were really with us, our bills would be paid. How could God be with us and us be in foreclosure? How? Joe said, I can't figure it out. How could my kid die and God be with me? How could my house be on fire and God be with me? I looked for him. I looked for him. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. I looked on the right. I didn't see him. I looked behind me. I didn't. You said you had my back. I didn't see him. I looked in front of me. I thought he'd lead the way. I didn't see him. 
but you cannot see in a storm. That's why he told you to walk by faith and not by sight. You cannot see in a storm. Don't look for God to be sensual in your storm. He will not appeal to your senses. Your senses add to your comfort. God will not make you comfortable in your storm. But just because you are in the presence of a storm, the storm does not negate the presence of God, nor does it indicate the absence of God. In fact, if you really want to see God do his best work, get in trouble. I know you think God does his best work when you're dancing in the church and you're clapping and you're raising your hand and all of that stuff. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I know that God visits your praise. The Bible said he inhabits the praises of Israel. I understand that God visits your praise. But if you want to know where God lives, he lives in trouble. The Bible said he is a very, very present help in the time of trouble. If you're looking for God, he's in the storm. He may not be saying anything, Peter. You may find him asleep on the boat in the bottom of the ship, but don't think that he jumped off the boat because you were in a storm. He is with you in the storm. He promised. He promised to be with you. I'm going to tell you something about the promises of God. Anytime God promises you something, get ready for trouble. I know you haven't heard it talk that way, but I'm going to rock your world this morning. Anytime God promises you something, get ready for trouble. I never promise the obvious. I never promise the obvious. You never promise the obvious. You give a promise when you know that something is going to come to make you doubt. If I write Michael a check, the check is a promise. He cannot spend it, but it is a promise that the money is behind it. Whenever God promises you something, he says, you may not have it in your sensual realm right now, but I promise you, good God, did he promise you anything? I, I heard him myself, I heard him myself, I heard him when he said, he promised me, when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. He wouldn't have said that if his presence was apparent, because you never promised the obvious. He said, but when you pass through the water, you got my word on it. I am in there with you. You may not see me. You may not feel me. You may not sense me. But I tell you what, all the while you're stroking in the water, understand you are not stroking by yourself. Don't be so aware of the storm that you lose awareness of the God in the storm. From the early church, 
they were physically capturing Christians, crucifying them upside down and throwing them into snake pits. And we don't see that happening today, but he's snatching us another way. He's snatching us mentally, snatching us emotionally, snatching us with pressure, snatching us with stress. And, and we are dying, we are being crucified while people look right at us and they cannot see the nails. Have you ever been tortured right in front of people and they didn't even know it? Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. Rests of loneliness. Shh, nobody knows. Secret warfare. Paul said, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I'm going to write you a letter, but I'm not coming. Because this time I am pressed above measure and beyond strength. Do you know how much courage it took for him as an apostle to tell you the apostle is suicidal? The apostle doesn't want to leave. Seven pastors that I know of committed suicide last year. See, it's hard to be everybody's hero all the time. You might not be a pastor, but in your family, in your life, amongst your kids, amongst your friends, you are the one that everybody looks to to fix everything, never thinking for one moment that your hero is human. That your hero, I'm preaching to somebody, I don't know, pray with me a minute, that your hero are there any human heroes in here? Is there anybody in here that gets sick and tired of always being on duty? I'm going to tell you how bad it is. The, the man that we call Legion in the Bible, who was cutting himself in the tomb, whatever demonic influence was attacking him, it was so strong, but I respect the man. I know he cut himself. I know he stripped himself naked. I know he dwelt amongst dead people. I know he was kind of weird and kind of freaky, but I respect him because when Jesus cast the demons out and it went into a herd of swine, they, a whole herd, couldn't handle what this man was dealing with on the inside. The entire herd ran into the water and killed himself. At least he was still here. He was under pressure, but he was still here. He had stripped himself naked, but he was still. Touch somebody and say, I'm still here. Pressure comes when there is no release. When things, when things have more ways to get in than they have ways to get out, it creates pressure. When you got more coming at you than you got more coming from you, it creates pressure. When you are feeding more than people are feeding you, it creates pressure. Oh, I'm gonna bring it right where you can get it. All you gotta do to create pressure is to block my ability to release what you're putting on me, and over time, I will build up pressure. Look at how many people you got looking to you. 
and then count how many you got given to you. How many people are giving as much as they are taking? And you are up under pressure. And then there is the pressure that comes from the guilt of being under pressure. The, the guilt of being inadequate, of not being enough for all you took on. The guilt from being tired. The guilt from being empty. The guilt of being beyond strength. In the original language, it is ek dunamis, out of power. I don't have no more. So when you are a giver, after you have given, there is a depletion that is inherent in being a giver that you have to absorb the collateral damage of always being available to other people. Can I, can I drop some real stuff on you this morning? So the more opulent, effusive, effective somebody is, the more empty they become. See? My Jeep is it, it, full of gas right now. My Jeep is full of gas right now. You know why it's full? Nobody drove it this way. The more you drive it, the emptier it gets. If you've been drove hard, you're empty. And the problem with you is, you know how to work better than you know how to cry for help. And you can literally burn up around people who love you. It's not that they don't love you. But they would never imagine that the apostle could be tired. Not mama. Mama couldn't, that's just how mama is. Mama just like, you know how mama is, she just... See, when you're good at whatever you do, one of the ways you know you're good is when people take you for granted. David said, no man cared for my soul. They care for my talent. They care for my money. They care for my work ethic or whatever it is people care for you for. But do you care? For my soul. Carest thou not that we perish. Carest thou not sending you all these hearts and kisses and writing your notes and writing on your fan page and following you. Carest thou not. I'm speaking for somebody who is secretly suffering and wondering, does anybody care? I want to talk to you about what is overwhelming you. I'm not talking about what you manage well, I'm talking about what you don't.
I don't want to talk to you about what you win at. I want to talk to you about what you fail at. I don't want to talk to you about the areas that you overcome. I want to talk to you about the areas that overwhelm you. I can't take another day if Write down overwhelmed and think about what overwhelms you, takes you out, rocks your world, gets on your last. He says, God, I'm out here working for you and I am responsible for, I will be responsible for most of the New Testament writings. I have established churches everywhere you sent me. I have preached the gospel with power and clarity even when I was in jail. I have laid hands on dead people and seen them get out of the grave. And so I'm asking you one personal favor. I don't, I don't ask you for much. I don't bother you about many things. I didn't say nothing about being shipwrecked. I didn't say anything about being beaten. I didn't say anything about being locked up in jail. But this is one favor. Just, just take this away because this overwhelms me it's too much for me I'm drowning in it it gets me down it wrecks my life it gets me out of focus take it away I want you to understand the power of this prayer this is not somebody praying for a parking space and, and let things go good at work today and no no this is this is praying about what overwhelms my very soul I wouldn't I wouldn't have brought it to you if it wasn't big I wouldn't have brought it to you if it wasn't too much for me. Everything that I could stand, I stood it. And everything that I could take, I took it. And everything I could put up with, I put up with it. But this right here overwhelms my very soul. He says, take this, take this away from me. What is the thing that overwhelms you? What is the thing that overwhelms, overwhelms? that you drown in that's what he prayed about three times why would Paul have to pray three times he didn't have to pray three times to raise up the dead man who fell out the window how is it that God works so good when you're praying about other people's problems and oh God help me Jesus I just want to ask a question. If anybody understands the words that are coming out of my mouth, how can you be so smart about everybody else's life but your own? Why? Why are we so wise with other people's dilemmas? And such a fool with our own. How could Paul have the power and the courage to turn in cities inside out and couldn't fix his own problem? He prayed three times for God to remove this, take this curse off of me. So I can serve you like I want to serve you. So I can be who you want me to be. I could do it if you would just fix this. This overwhelms me. 
and he says, God, I want you to take this away. I'd be better for you if I was better with me. Come next Sunday, I'll finish this. <laughs> fix this. It seems like you should want to fix this. I would be better for you if I didn't have this limitation. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? See, see this text, I, I, I went to bed thinking about this. I woke up thinking about this. I couldn't get away from this. This is the text I'm supposed to preach this morning. And either it's somebody in this room or somebody over the internet, or maybe it's just for me, but somebody in this room knows what it's like to be overwhelmed by something and say, God, if you could just take this away, I'd be a better mama. I'd be a better daddy. I'd be a better husband, a better wife. I'd be a better man. This overwhelms me. And the Paul who raised the dead and healed the sick and turned water into wine went to God on behalf of his own problem and he was overruled. So write down overruled. Objection, Your Honor! Overruled. You have the right to object, but he has the right to overrule. You have the right to complain, but he has the right to overrule. You have the right to cry, but he has the right to overrule. What do you do? God says no. What do you do when you've asked for a good thing? It's, it's not like he's asking for gold to come out of the water fountain. He, he's not praying out of carnality or selfishness. This is a good thing. What do you do when you pray for something good? And God says, no. You have been overruled. Great man of faith and power, you've been overruled. Praying, mama been overruled. Counseling other couples, your own house in a wreck. Overruled. You got such good advice for the guys at work. They go home and want to jump out of a window. You pray and you pray and you pray. You've been overruled got a loved one in the hospital they're sick and you prayed and you fasted and you've anointed them with oil and you quoted scriptures and you're trying to believe God and you're trying to read everybody's books and every tape that you can the life goes out of them you've been overruled you said all the right things you quoted all the scriptures you told the nurse he's gonna be healed you told the doctor she's coming out of this you testified to everybody you quoted scriptures you laid the bible on their head died right in front of your face and the enemy looks at you and says where is your god not you've been overruled I, I, I came from preaching in this church wet from sweat from preaching 
climbed on top of my mother and prayed for her, wept. And she still died in my arms. And God and the devil said, where is your God now? What do you do when you have been Had everybody pray for the baby. And you still had a stillborn. That's what we need direction about. That's what is happening in this text. That's what's happening to the apostle Paul, y'all. Paul, y'all. Paul, y'all. Now, you know, if it happened to Paul, y'all, <laughs> if it if it happened to the guy who wrote the Bible, I'd give God a little bit of slack. We see this this threefold prayer before. Only this time it wasn't Paul, y'all. It was Jesus said, "Hey, Dad, look, I know you sent me down here to do this, but uh, you know." <laughs> Look, let, let's do a revision on the contract and, and amend the documents to be transferred a little bit because if it be thy will, pass this bitter cup for me. Three times he prayed. Now, he couldn't change the father's mind. He the son. Jesus finally threw his hands and said, not my will but thine be done. Paul tried to praise three times and God says no. You have been overruled. And then he says, I said no, Paul, because my grace Is sufficient. I know you think that your plan is sufficient. He says, but my grace is sufficient. I considered my grace before I allowed my messenger to send you this prayer. I measured them out. I wouldn't let you be attacked on this level if I didn't give you enough grace. The reason we can come in every Sunday and seat you with confidence is because the pews have been constructed to the specifications of a particular weight load that will accommodate the weight of you sitting on this pew. We wouldn't seat you on the pew if the specs did not verify that the weight load is so constructed that you can rest in the integrity of the pew that was prepared for the weight before the weight was applied to it. God said, I considered the weight load before I put the pain in your life and I know you feel like you cannot handle it. And I know you think 
that you cannot take it and I know you feel like you're going to lose your mind and I know you feel like driving off the cliff but I just want to tell you I'm not going to stop it I'm not going to take it away I'm not going to give you what you want but my grace is Just three people say, I got grace for this. I got grace. I got grace for this moment in my life. I got grace for this situation. I got grace. I don't like it, but I got grace for it. It hurts, but I got grace for it. I'm in trouble, but I got grace for it. I may cry, but I got grace for it. I may be in turbulence, but I got grace.